0: This is Notoriously Episcopalian. My name is Kelly Hudlow. This is a podcast of sermons and musings all about the Christian faith and especially about being an Episcopalian. This is a sermon for the 4th Sunday of Advent, December 19th, 2021, offered at the Church of the Messiah in Heflin, Alabama. The principal text for the sermon is Luke chapter 1 verses 39 through 55. Mary's Visitation to Elizabeth and the Magnificant. May I speak in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we are so close to Christmas. It's sneaking in all around us, but we have to hold on because we got one more Sunday of Advent. And it may be sort of my favorite Sunday, my favorite set of readings that we get during the season of Advent, because this Sunday, we get the story of Mary in a way that we have not yet heard, right? We've heard a lot from John the Baptist. We sort of know vaguely what would have happened nine months before we get to Christmas. But this Sunday, we are asked to consider Mary's role in this story, Now, the Virgin Mary is very popular in our sort of religious art. We love to paint her. If you go to the Church of the Annunciation in Israel, so the church that marks the place that tradition has it, that Gabriel came to visit Mary and announced to her that she would be the mother of Jesus. Around the church, through all sort of this outside garden, they have images of Mary, the Madonna, as, as the image is known, from around the world, right? And so countries from around the world would have artists make these, these portraits of Mary that then are sent there and hung up. So you have... Mary as, as imagined by the people of Japan, or Mary as imagined by, you know, the people of Germany. And so she takes on sort of a flavor of each of those countries. There is a very American version of Mary, which is this, this large sort of mixed media icon of Mary that includes metal from the space shuttle, right? So a very American kind of vision of Mary. In Western art, we often depict Mary as a young girl. She looks very calm, very passive, sort of this image that we have of what it might be to be the the willing servant of the Lord. And these are good images that we have of Mary, and it's wonderful that we translate Mary into our different cultures. But this is not the image of Mary that Luke actually gives us. And so in thinking about all sort of the different images of Mary that we have, I'm reminded that one of my favorite images is from uh, an artist that goes by the name Ben Wildflower. He's a block printer, Um, and he has made this image of Mary. It's a very simple black and white block print, and Mary is framed sort of in an oval by the words of her prophetic song that we heard not just once but twice this morning, the Magnificant, right? So it's words of the Magnificant that sort of encircle her. Mary has a crown of stars because she's often also called uh, the queen of the universe, right? So this idea of Mary's sort of special status amongst um, human beings. And then under Mary, she is trampling a serpent, which represents evil, and a skull, which represents death, right? And her fist is raised in the air. The artist has taken sort of our imagery that we associate with protest and defiance and put this onto the Virgin Mary in this icon that hearkens to the magnificant. And I think that this is probably the image of Mary that comes closest to what Luke wants us to imagine. A young woman that is strong and active, right? Not passive and meek and mild. Because see, in Luke's gospel, Mary is anything but passive, right? In the verses before this, think about this. We have two announcements of special births, right? An angel comes to Zechariah who's going to be John the Baptist's father, right? A priest of the temple. In the act of doing priestly things in the temple, an angel of the Lord comes and says, your wife is going to have a baby, and that baby's going to be the prophet of the Lord Most High. And Zechariah says, you must be wrong. She's too old. She can't have a child. And the angel says, for your disbelief, you're going to be mute until this comes to be true, right? On the other hand, when Gabriel comes to Mary, and says, Mary, you are going to bear the son of God, Mary asks some questions, right? She points out that this seems a little odd, right? She's young, she's engaged, but not yet married um, to Joseph. But she doesn't doubt, right? And Gabriel explains that the spirit of the Lord is going to come upon her and that she is going to conceive and bear a son and name him Jesus, the angel pronounces, right, what is going to happen. And Mary's response in that moment is, well, then let me be, let it be according to God's word. And so after she has essentially said yes to Gabriel, said yes to allowing the Spirit of the Lord to come upon her, to becoming the mother of Jesus, she then picks up and goes 80 miles from Nazareth down to Ein Karim, which is a little town outside of Jerusalem, to see Elizabeth, right? her family member. And she goes there um, because in Gabriel's announcement to her, he says, and oh, by the way, your kinsman, Elizabeth, is also going to bear a child. Now, scholars speculate, why does Mary leave Nazareth, knowing that she's pregnant, and go all this way down to where Elizabeth lives? Some say Mary needed more proof, right? So she wanted to go and see her cousin Elizabeth, who was going to be to see that she is indeed pregnant, even in her old age. Others suggest that Mary goes down there because she wants to help her cousin, right? Because her cousin is pregnant, even in her old age, right? And needs help. But the one that I like best, and that I think most keeps with what Luke is trying to tell us, is that Mary goes to Elizabeth, so that she can be with the only other person that she knows of that God has shown up and said, I'm going to make the impossible possible. She goes there because her and Elizabeth are sharing a similar experience. And now during Advent, we are not usually on the lookout for the Holy Spirit. We're like on the lookout for the incarnation, for the second coming of Jesus. But the Holy Spirit fills Luke's gospel, right? When, when the angel tells Zechariah he's going to have a son named John the Baptist, right? He says, and your son is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit to become the prophet of God. When the angel comes to Mary, he says, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and that is how you will conceive a child. And so in this meeting with Elizabeth and Mary, of course the Holy Spirit shows up, right? We get John the Baptist, maybe his first prophetic action, his first sort of pointing to Jesus is, when he leaps in his mother's womb when Mary comes near. And then Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit and pronounces a blessing on Mary and calls her the mother of my Lord. And now Mary, in that moment, right, the bearer of the incarnate Word of God offers the Spirit-filled words of a prophet. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The song that Mary sings, echoes the song of Hannah that she sung at the the announcement or the understanding that she was going to give birth to the prophet Samuel. The words of Mary are the words of Israel's prophets that have gone for generations before her, right? The talking of the bringing down the powerful from their thrones, lifting up the lowly, filling the hungry, sending the rich away empty. Some scholars note that the Magnificat is the song the church loves to sing But hates to hear. We can handle the challenging words of Mary when it is coming from the passive demure sweet Mary that we paint in all our paintings but when the words get more dangerous and we suddenly hear them from an active strong Mary perhaps with her fist in the air speaking as a prophet we get uncomfortable. Mainly because in the western mainline church, our discomfort comes from the fact when we hear the words of Mary's song, we probably get nervous because we maybe have more in common with the proud, the powerful, and the rich. And therefore, Mary's song is not comforting to us because it seems like we have a lot to lose in this. It's the song we love to sing but hate to hear. But if we come to the Magnificat in that way, we're misreading what Mary is saying. First, it is important to note that the words of Mary begin and end with the words of God's mercy. This great reversal that she proclaims is flanked with God's mercy, right? It begins his mercy for those who fear him from generation to generation. And then it sort of ends with, and he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Second, we need to remember who the source of the turning is. The he in the Magnificat, right, is God, the one who is faithful to Israel and always keeps promises. Now, if the he was we, if we were singing about what we are going to do to the rich and the powerful, right? then, yes, we should be nervous because in all likelihood, if we were in charge of the reversal, we're just going to recreate the system, right? So the lowly will be lifted up to become the powerful who continue to push down the new lowly, and we go in this cycle again and again and again. And so we get nervous about the Magnificat because we assume, right, that the cycle is never going to be broken, and that there will always be someone that's left on top and someone that's pushed to the bottom. But we know that that's not how God works, right? The Song of Mary, the Magnificant, is about God's working in the world, not ours. It's about God's work that ends the system of power built on scarcity and competition. It's about God's work in the world that creates a relationship between people built on the enoughness of God, right? The enoughness that is based not on our, what we have, but on God's abundance. In the world of Mary's song, the cycle is broken. Because we will all have enough to live the abundant life that is offered to us through Jesus Christ. And now here's the real beauty of Mary's song. If you want to be nerdy for just a moment. Mary is using some really complex grammar, right, in this song. We translate it as a past perfect. So we hear that he has done, he has shown, he has brought he has filled, He has helped, right? God has done these things. Now, in the Greek in which the gospel is written in, this passage is written in a verb tense that we actually don't have in English. It's a verb tense that indicates that what is happening was true in the past, is true in the present, and is true in the future. And so the song that Mary is singing about God's enoughness and God's mercy and God's justice To us seems like it has already happened because it has. And not only has it already happened, it is currently our reality and it is the future that we are striving for. It is the world that when John the Baptist is grown, is in the wilderness calling people to repent and to be baptized. The song, the world that Mary described in her song is the world that John is calling us to create by living lives of repentance marked by kindness and justice in our homes, and our community. It's the world that we are called to live into reality right now as Christians. The prophetic song of Mary is a protest song. In a real sense of the word, it is a protest song against the way of the world. And it does not call us to perpetuate an endless cycle of reversals, but instead calls us to see the present reality that God's abundance and mercy are here now and that they are enough. And when we step into God's reality, we can create a world around us where there is enough for everyone. And now, I can see your doubts. Before you say it is impossible, I want you to remember, to remind yourself who is doing the talking and who is doing the hearing and the story. Because in the visitation of Mary to Elizabeth, we are again again given living proof of the work of God. Elizabeth, a priest's wife, well established, well respected too old to be pregnant, stands in front of Mary on the verge of giving birth to John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And Mary, too young and too unwed to be pregnant, is now standing in front of her cousin Elizabeth as the God-bearer, the Theotokos, the mother of our Lord and Savior. We should remember, in hearing this story, That this is the proof of Gabriel's words spoken to Mary a few verses earlier. For nothing will be impossible with God, even a world built on enoughness and abundance. Amen.